Welcome to Bloom, the podcast where mums share their unfiltered birth experiences. We hope that by listening to their stories, you feel empowered and inspired wherever you are on your own journey. Welcome to Bloom. In today's episode, Kelly and I discuss how an IVF procedure really happens. Three letters that hold so much weight for so many women after years of hope and failure. The IVF process comes without a rule book, a clear timeline or a defined process. The delicate balance of criteria that need to align can be a huge mental burden. Kelly's journey does have a happy ending, but that doesn't mean that it was a textbook procedure. She shares her journey with infertility, the difficult decisions that she and her partner were faced with when her first NHS-funded round didn't work, despite a promising start. We also talk about the value of effective pain relief in labour when energy levels are low. Kelly's walking epidural allowed her to get the rest that she needed to push her baby out without intervention. I hope you enjoy it. This is a really great one and I definitely really appreciated Kelly being so open and honest on a topic that's really painful and and challenging for a lot of women. So I hope you'll enjoy listening to how I definitely did. Hi Kelly, nice to have you here. Hello, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks. I'm really happy to have you on today. And can we start with a little introduction, if you could just tell me your name, age, where you're from, what you do in life and who's in your family, please. Okay, so my name is Kelly Noon. On Instagram, I was IVF.ninja. I'm now IVF.ninja mama. Um, I'm from Leicestershire in the UK. I am married, but I wasn't when we had IVF, and we have a little girl called Dorothea, who's five. We also have Woody, who we say is Dorothea's brother. He just put his head <laughs> up in the background, um, and he's eight. And <laughs> um, then we do have some frozen siblings for Dorothea, so they must be part of our family. And the frozen embryos, we have five of those um, sitting okay. in the freezer. I am a nurse by profession. Um, I don't shout about that much. Um, I do lots of things. I have my fingers in too many too many pies. I also run like a ladies community in Leicestershire as well. Amazing. I love the word ninja. I feel like we're starting to hear more of like the word warrior being used, which I love as well. But I love ninja. It's just such a great image of you just going through all the problems. The really stupid thing is, is when I started it, I just thought, oh, that's a cool name. But what you don't realise is when you go on social media that at some point you're going to be walking around anywhere and someone's going to walk up to you and actually call you by your Instagram name. Yeah. Oh, hi, IVF Ninja. I'm like, oh, my God. Thanks, <laughs> <My> Kelly. <laughs> I'm a fan. So we've got lots uh, to talk about, but let's start at the beginning of your story with your family. Can you talk about how you met Nick and how old you were? Oh, my goodness. I met Nick online. Plenty of fish. I got married early. I got married when I was 23 and I had a failed marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of came to online dating and as an older lady. An older lady, she says. It, I was 30. I wasn't like old. Yeah. <laughs> um, In the prime of life. Yeah. And met Nick on Plenty of Fish. It's a bit of a cringe story, but it, it, it is our story. So it's quite funny. Uh-huh. Um, and we got on quite well. I used to work nights at the time. 
So I used to spend a lot of my night shift just chatting to him on Plenty of Fish. And we met and got on. And I think we kind of moved in with each other after probably about like two months. It was very, very quick. And we come to the conclusion, because he's older than me. So what is he, six, seven years older than me? So he would have been 36, 37 when we met. I was 30. Mm -hmm. I always wanted kids. Um, It was a big thing while my previous marriage failed. Mm. um, That I wanted kids and he didn't. So we were quite open with each other from the start. We both wanted children and I was having loads of issues on my contraception at the time. Mm. I can't remember if it was the implant or pill. But anyway, it wasn't doing me good for my mood. So Nick was a bit like, well, why don't you just come off of it? And I was like, oh, yeah. but And he's like, at the end of the day, if you did become pregnant now, would that be an issue for you? And I was like, oh, well, no, it wouldn't. Would that not be an issue for you? And he was like, no. So we kind of agreed to, we weren't trying, but we were just gonna let nature take its course Mm. and obviously when you do that you kind of have the assumption we weren't trying but at some point something's going to happen and it didn't happen and then we thought hang on why is it not happening Uh and like I think because we were a bit like almost upset that it hadn't happened we realized actually we did want to have a baby okay so we did start then trying how long would you say passed before you start it shifted from like more of a passive thing to an active thing probably like six months okay because like I think you know everyone knows and reads or you know even if you just chat to your friends you know you ha- you will have you- everyone will have that friend they fell pregnant first month mm. and everyone will know those friends that it took you know three four five six months so I think it got to the six month mark and we're like mm, there's no happy accident here let's start trying you know I had an app I was plotting my ovulation dates and stuff like that mm-hmm. um, and we probably did kind of another probably eight months to a year of that before we kind of thought "Mm, there's an issue here isn't there okay and did you have anyone in your support network that you were talking to outside of you and Nick about everything not too much in the beginning luckily or not very lucky for them I've actually got two friends that have been through IVF so you know I would talk to them about what you what do you do when you're trying you know is there something you can do that's a non-invasive way of finding out if you're fertile you know I found out about tests and things like that but we, we weren't that open about it. And I think we weren't that open, one, because we did we hadn't been together that long. We didn't want people to judge us on it. We've been together a year. Mm-hmm. But do you kind of feel that awkwardness and weirdness about, oh, why is it not happening? Mm-hmm. So we weren't that open with it. Okay. And did you know from your friends what the steps, the first steps were going to be if you went to try and get some sort of diagnosis done? Yeah, they gave us lots of advice, so we knew what kind of tests to ask for from the GP. Okay. Um, instead of going in blindly and just, you know, saying it's a bit of a problem, you know, we we knew what specific tests to ask for to get those tests done early on. Okay. And that was done all, all very quickly. It was as simple as just making an appointment with your GP and. Yeah, literally, appointment with a GP. How long have you been trying? Yeah, let's book you in for some tests. Obviously, it's a sperm test for um, your other half, and it's just a blood test for girls. Okay. Which our blood, t- you know, our tests were bad enough to mean we, we'd get referred in for fertility treatment. So it was quite a quick process, and it was bad enough that it wasn't kind of you try IUI or you try meds to help you ovulate first. It was literally straight to IVF for us. Okay. Do you remember where you were when you got the response from those tests and who was delivering that information I do I had to deliver it to Nick myself oh gosh which was quite harsh I think it's really weird because it didn't feel it didn't feel like bad news 
it felt like good news because we knew we were failing to get pregnant mm -hmm. and it was almost like we needed those tests to be bad to help us move forward because we you know we weren't getting anywhere so it was almost a relief to know something's wrong yeah okay to know there's a problem why it's not happening and actually now we've got this bad news that gives us something to move forward with so it didn't feel like a bad news horrible thing mm -hmm. it almost felt like oh well that's why and at least we can move forward you know via a different route now yeah okay so you're feeling optimistic shall we say about embarking on treatment were you accompanied by the nhs at that point or was it private where was the place you were going yeah so our first round was um nhs again similarly to what i said about fertility you assume growing up you're fertile yeah and then i think when you go into the ivf process you kind of assume you go you have ivf whatever and you don't know what that means at the time you just well, i have I, I have a test tube baby and you think it's going to work first time you don't kind of have the comprehension that doesn't work first time for most people probably mm. um depending on you know the reason for the infertility you kind of think right it's it's this process i try for a baby i get pregnant i have a baby mm -hmm. you realize that's not true right i have a problem i get referred for ivf i have an ivf i have a baby mm -hmm. what actually happens um at the fertility clinic like what are the kind of steps that they take with you and is it well ex was it in your case well explained to you yeah i mean i think having a background as a nurse i do mm -hmm. and being the sort of person i am i did loads of research i did you know loads of my own research i spoke to my friends that i knew that I'd had ivf as well um i very quickly built up a little community of people yeah i knew that had ivf or friends of friends and could speak to people so i kind of knew what i was going into be before we even got there really um, it's a lot more invasive for women than it is for men because they just have the jolly job of providing a sperm sample, which, um, it's obviously easy, but it's probably not the nicest thing for them to do in a cubicle in a hospital. Mm. Um, you know, blood tests for me, scans of your ovaries, um, the, you know, the, the dildo camera is what everyone um, in IVF land refers it to. It is not a scan on the outside of your belly. It is literally like a dildo with a camera on the end. Wow. Um, so that's a delight. Whilst you've got a full bladder, obviously, as if it wasn't awkward enough, you feel like you're about to pee. Oh, my goodness. Um, so, yeah, dildo cam becomes your best friend when you're going through IVF and you very quickly get over having any dignity at all. <laughs> um, and there's that the pre-treatment a bit like the diagnosis or is that actually the process of getting to the fertilization it's kind of a bit of both to be honest because before they can they need to know what you like your resting ovarian reserve is okay. so they have to have a look at your ovaries pre any treatment starts to see one you know are you even producing eggs okay um, which they can pretty much tell by your blood levels but actually it's really helpful um, for them to go and have a look and see you know how many eggs do you have sitting in your ovaries or um the follicles sitting there um and i've got polycystic ovaries so i always have a lot of follicles okay but i didn't know i didn't know i had polycystic ovaries before this whole process started right okay like what how long does the process of getting a fertilized egg take you said it was pretty straightforward but what does that actually look like in terms of time you take some medication, which is tablets and injection, mm -hmm. 
to basically shut down your natural fertility system and, and everyone calls it it's like a medically induced menopause which okay. as you can sound uh, as you can imagine it's, it's quite an emotional time yeah uh, when you're trying for a baby and they basically put you into to menopause and then when they've kind of shut everything down um they take control over your ovaries um to help build up those follicles and obviously each month naturally we have one follicle that's mature and one egg that's released. You know, you'll have a few people that release more than, more than one egg, but yeah. that's your standard. And, you know, as women, we generally know, you know, you know when you're ovulating. Yeah. Um, you know those, those pre-period pains. Um, but IVF is a completely different world because they are super stimulating those follicles in your ovaries. So you don't just produce that one follicle, you are producing lots and lots and lots right um and because i'm polycystic it was lots for me you know lots of people that don't have a good ovarian reserve would probably only produce like you know five to ten follicles but every time i went for my scans it was over 30 wow Um, so it was a lot of follicles can you feel that inside you yeah so you you kind of look which is probably a hideous part of the process towards the end of when they're stimulating your follicles you look pregnant Wow. And it's like, oh, and people are like, oh, you're pregnant because you are swollen. The nurse said to me, um, like, your your resting ovary is probably about the size of a walnut. Mm. And by the end of the stimulation of your ovaries, each ovary is probably the size of a big grapefruit, especially if you have lots of follicles like I did. Wow. So you can imagine, you know, you've got two big grapefruits sitting in your abdomen. Which is easily, like five or six months pregnant perhaps <laughs> yeah. yeah and it's the thing that it's not just the size because you expect the size right. but it's the weight because these are flu like fluid filled follicles so it's not just I've got a big belly I look really bloated mm. it's actually you can feel them bouncing and it, it sounds <laughs> the most lunatic thing to say but I remember towards the end because of sort of nurse I was at the time I was on the emergency team and you'd run to you know you'd have a bleep and you'd run to a cardiac arrest uh-huh. and I remember running down the corridor oh. thinking I feel like I've got two water balloons in my belly I could like literally just feel and you have to be really careful because yeah they say you're actually at risk of torsion because you have these big massive grapefruits at the end of your fallopian tubes and your fallopian tubes can twist <gasps> oh wow gosh so you do have to be quite cautious because there are the risks there Mm-hmm. So I think my first cycle, I think I had about 11, 12 days of injections maturing those follicles. Okay. Um, and they literally scan you every other day and take bloods every other day okay. to monitor you. So it is, it's quite intensive because it affects your life. You know, every other day you've got to be at the hospital for a couple of hours. So mm. it's it's an intense time. Yeah. So you, you're at a point where you've got, by the sounds of it, plenty of eggs ready to be um, extracted. What happens? Like, is that done at the hospital or at the fertility clinic? Yeah. So there's well, there's two parts to kind of get into the stage of having your eggs collected. There's them maturing the follicles, but you've also got to make sure your lining's good, mm-hmm. your womb lining, if you're going to have a fresh transfer. So they also measure when they do the scans. They like measure your womb lining. Okay. Um, because you need a nice thick lining. I was lucky; mine was always fine. Okay. But some people kind of have their cycles abandoned because they don't create the lining. Um, but they can still take the eggs out at that point. It's just you wouldn't be able to have a fresh transfer. You'd have to go to a frozen transfer. Okay. I won't call it surgery. It's not a surgery. It's a procedure mm-hmm. to collect your eggs. Is again, it's like the dildo dildo cam. 
okay. um, it's joyous you, you um, go into a theatre it is like a dildo and out the end of that comes a prong with a needle on and they stick that through your vaginal wall into your ovaries and basically suck out all that fluid which contains your eggs okay is it painful what does it feel like um you, you have sedation okay um and my experience because i've had two cycles my experience both times was absolutely fine you know i remembered going into the theater i kind of remembered the dildo bit and then i woke up the other side and they were telling me how many eggs i got you know okay. i think some clinics are a lot kinder with the sedation than others okay Someone told me yesterday at work they were watching Alex Jones has got a new fertility documentary out, mm. and they were saying they were watching that and they're saying, "Oh, it looked really pain. The poor lady it looked really painful when she was having her eggs collected." And I was like, "Well, did she not have sedation?" Yeah. Um, so yeah, the idea of it's worse than the reality for me, but mm. obviously everyone's experiences are different. Yeah. Okay. And so you said you've had two cycles. So they took the eggs out, and what was the kind of verdict at that stage? were you given much information so we I had a bit of a blip in my first cycle because I had near ovarian stimulation okay so basically they gave me what they didn't give me I gave myself injections for three days longer than they intended me to have them because they didn't they rang me and left a voicemail saying that my hormone levels were too high and they needed to stop my injections. Right. I never got that voicemail. Oh, wow. So I carried on taking the injections and um, went for a scan, like it was over the weekend, went for a scan on a Monday and they're like, what's happened? And I was like, yeah. what do you mean what's happened? They're like, your follicles are huge. Mm. Did you not stop taking your injections on Friday? And I was like, no. That must have been quite scary. It was a bit. They realised I hadn't got the, the the information to stop it and I'm like right we need to stop it now mm -hmm. we need to take your bloods urgently to see if you're going into ovarian hyperstimulation okay. syndrome it's called um and then I had to have a horrible little drug which was just a tablet to basically stop the follicles growing okay. like quite quickly um, right. and it made me very sick so from the point of having that information I should have stopped my meds I took this tablet I went back to work I puked up everywhere, I collapsed, I had severe vertigo, I went home and vomited for 48 hours. So it kind of, I, I was feeling quite like perky. Mm. You know, everything's going fine, the eggs are growing really well. And then I had this horrible experience when I was really, really sick prior to egg collection. Okay. So I went into my egg collection feeling rubbish um, because of this ovarian hyperstimulation. Mm -hmm. If I remember rightly, my first cycle, I think we got 27 eggs collected wow that sounds like a lot which is low yeah but we had a really big drop off i can't remember the exact number you know i think we had 27 eggs collected so i think like 17 were mature so were good enough to put forward to fertilization and then we only had um nine fertilized okay. so we had like a massive drop off we went from thinking we've got 27 to nine and then they, they fertilize them on the same day as your collection. And over the next few days, they basically watch them grow in the incubator. Okay. We had a, a really big drop off. We had lots of abnormal ones. Okay. Um, and obviously, because they can watch them grow and divide and they want them to, to the easiest way to think about it, I think, is they want them, the cells to divide equally. Mm -hmm. Because if the cells divide equally and in good timing, that's more likely to create a good uh, blastocyst, a good embryo, uh, yeah. you know, a healthy baby. Yeah. Um, and most of ours didn't do that. Um, on day three, 
we got the call saying we needed to go in that day for transfer because we only had three left. Okay. And by the time we got in, there was only two left. Wow, okay. And they weren't great. And I've got pictures of them. And when I look at the pictures, I can tell they're not great. They're, they're like grade and A to C. So an A is a really good one. Yeah. A C is generally the lowest they would ever transfer. And this was a B and one of ours was a C. So there was okay. just, they were just the two left over. And how did you, did they tell you what the maximum number they would have transferred was? If every one of them had fertilised and, you know, would, when would they have stopped? Transfers in the UK, the most they will generally transfer is two. Okay. You do hear in other countries that, you know, they trans- they seem to fling them all in. But in the UK, because there's they're strict guidance for fertility care, they won't transfer more than two. Um, and basically, the, the, the age the embryos are put in, you can still have division into two after mm-hmm. that. So if they put one in, yeah. you can still get twins or triplets because... That, you know they're putting them in at day three or five and I think they divide between days six and not six and nine so in the UK that they're, they're very kind of respectful of that and yeah you know if they put two in two could be four, four so, yeah so they wouldn't ever put any more and anything you've got left over if they're good enough to freeze they freeze them for you okay so in your case they would never have put in more than that but you'd have had potentially more viable embryos yeah some okay. to freeze and the way funding works is like if if on that cycle would have some to freeze we could continue on with a funding with our frozen ones okay um obviously because i've had two cycles you know the first cycle didn't work mm-hmm. um but because the first cycle didn't work that literally meant it wasn't just the failure to get pregnant on the first cycle mm. um it was literally well hang on how are we going to carry on with fertility treatment because our, you know our funding's gone how did you know that it hadn't worked? What's the first sign of that? So they say for you to wait. They say for you to wait for fourteen days to do your pregnancy test. Yeah. But the process of IVF, it kind of means it's sped up a lot because you don't have to wait a few days for the sperm to get to the egg. It, it you know, that happens on day one, um, and it grows in the lab for the first few days. So, like literally two weeks after transfer, you were in theory four weeks pregnant. Okay. Um. So they get you to go into the clinic and you do a standard urine pregnancy test and then they also send off your bloods um to do a blood pregnancy test as well so we went in and had a, had a negative pregnancy test okay and were you at all tempted to try and do a pregnancy test beforehand so that you were in your more comfortable environment or did you feel yeah. you did did you do it or were you just tempted <laughs> I, I wanted to. No, my other half wouldn't let me. My okay. other half would not let me. Not having any of it. <laughs> okay. I didn't think it had worked. I think because I had the ovarian hyperstimulation, I felt so ill. Yeah. Having two poor quality embryos. I just, my mind wasn't feeling positive anyway. Mm-hmm. And I felt like nothing had gone well. So why would it work? How did you both deal with the 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 news that it hadn't worked emotionally absolutely devastated mm. because as, as I said you go into it thinking well they're going to give me IVF and they're going to get me pregnant and it's only kind of while you're going through the the weight of you know you know there's an embryo in you you know that should be implanting but when you're sitting there going through the weight you kind of have that oh my god it might not mm-hmm. and when it doesn't work do you then you said that they kind of put your body into the menopause but does your body just resume its natural 
menstrual cycle after that yeah basically so you just have a period as, as you would every month so okay when there's no implantation your your lining's built up and you just have a bleed and then you'll just return to your normal okay and so I mean how did you begin processing your new reality with your partner Nick it was horrible and I think it was you have so much hope going into it mm-hmm it, it, it's a it's a total diet downer. I, I remember literally driving to the hospital just crying, and not like you know being quiet and tears running down your face. Literally, it felt like I was having a total breakdown. I knew it hadn't worked. I was just in a really bad place. Yeah, it was just like you feel like well, I've got to start all again. I've yeah. got to start all again now. I've been through all that, you know, and I've got to do it all again. Did you feel like you needed? time to process it or were you when when you talked about it together were you did you know that you'd like to try again if you could find the money yeah yeah we we would I mean we were just determined I think the determination after getting that negative to kind of try again Mm -hmm. was like pretty much straight away Um, I mean we didn't straight away because you've got to find quite a lot of money how did you do that um there's uh credit cards (laughs) (laughs) I think, you know, we, we both had a little bit of savings. We both had the capacity to put some money down, but a lot of it was credit cards, um, which we're probably just about paying off now. So that mm. I think that's the hardest bit. But it's not just, it's kind of not just that. It's, I became very obsessed after having a failure and even more determined to make it work the next, the next time. So I did so much research. Okay. I, you know, I had me and Nick on so many supplements. So... It was the cost of the actual fertility treatment at the fertility centre, but it was also me spending probably 100 quid a month on, on different supplements to get better egg quality, be- better sperm quality, mm-hmm. a better lining. It was it was just intense. Mm. And I did acupuncture. We were determined to get everything the clinic offered us regarding extras because we didn't want it to fail again. Mm-hmm. Where Was there one or any specific resources that you were using to do that research yeah there's um I'm smiling because it's like became a little community um there was a Facebook group at the time um like a little IVF support group Mm. which I picked up some friends on my first cycle where we had like you could literally you know there's thousands of women going through this you don't realize um but there were women on the group who literally were on the same cycle dates as me on my first cycle um, so you kind of buddy up with those because, you know, you're going to have a baby together. Um, and obviously you don't. Um, but there's women in there that, you know, have probably had seven, eight, nine, ten IVF cycles and know the ins and outs and everything. There's people that, you know, have had successes and know what worked for them. So that was my biggest kind of support and my biggest resource mm. just for everything. But it did become a little bit intense and it's just your whole life becomes yeah. doing everything you can to make your IVF work. Mm-hmm. And so was it the same clinic as the first time, even though you were self-funding it? No, no, no. We mo- So we moved clinics. I must say when we went for the first cycle, I didn't realise we had a choice in clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was something I only found out by going on this IVF support group. And that's probably one thing I wish looking back, I found out more about, you know, we just went to the clinic we were referred to, which was literally the NHS hospital, mm. but I didn't realize you, you did have the option to go to private clinics on the NHS as part of that. And I never realized that. Um, so I looked into the local clinics and we decided to go to a, a private clinic. 
Um, obviously, at that point, they were all private, but you can go to an NHS clinic and pay privately, if that makes sense. So even if we went NHS, it would still be us funding it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we decided to go to um, a clinic in Nottingham that we'd heard good things about. Okay. And so fast forward to the transfer this time, was it similar results from the first time or do you think that any of the supplements and the lifestyle changes made a difference? I think they, well, I don't, you'll you'll never know. Yeah, of course. I think my my mindset changed totally. I think the, the breakdown I had on the way to the hospital to get our negative pregnancy test made me realise it wasn't just all the physical stuff I needed to change my mindset. Um, and this is going to sound really deep. Uh, it wasn't that deep at the time. This is just how I work. But I was like, I need to be more positive. Um, mm. And I read, the, have you heard of The Secret? This The no. Law of Attraction. Oh, my goodness. So everyone on this IVF group was really into this book. Okay. The Law of Attraction. It's all about, you know, manifesting what you want. Mm-hmm. And I was all like, I need to do stuff. I need to make actions to make this work as well as thinking positively, Um, Mm -hmm. which is why I decided I'm going to do the acupuncture because I'm such a stressed head. Um, The acupuncture helps you actually stop and relax for an hour a week and it's supposed to help Mm -hmm. you lining and your egg quality. You know, I changed my diet. There's loads of weird, whether they're myths, I don't think there's any, you know, research into it with certain foods that help eggs and so, you know, I was living on a weird diet of pomegranate juice, Brazil nuts and avocados, which... Sounds lovely. <laughs> it's, it's weird, but actually when you think about it, lots of this stuff is just a healthy diet. Yeah. You know, it was, I was eating more fish, you know, having more fruit and veg. So it's like, it's just a healthy diet, you know, mm. at the end of the day. But I did all this stuff and we did have a more, more successful outcome, obviously, because we've got Dot. Mm-hmm. I think the numbers were, were very similar, Okay. And I had like above 30 follicles. I can't even remember the numbers anymore. It's really weird. But I know we had 17 fertilized. Okay. Um, with our second cycle, they managed to get to day five of growing the embryos. Um, and that's what they ideally like to do. They like to get them to a blastocyst. So that's when they kind of stop dividing into yeah. like little blob cells and they kind of fuse and you can see like, a, I don't know, it looks like a planet. I don't know how yeah. they know what it looks like. It just looks like a planet to me. Um, <laughs> but we got to day five and we had, let me get this right, we had nine day five embryos, day okay. five blastocysts. And we had, we, then we had six. So we had three A's and three B's. Okay. So Dot is obviously one of those grade A's. Yeah. And um, they froze the other two A's and the three B's and the grade C's, they don't threes. Okay. The really weird thing about that day is we always thought that we weren't going to get to day five because we had such a negative first cycle. Mm -hmm. So we'd kind of planned that we'd be going in for a day three transfer. So Nick wasn't actually available on day five to come to a transfer with me. He was in Oxford when I was supposed to be in Nottingham. (laughs) <laughs> which is a bit like ah you can't even be there for the transfer um, yeah so I made my mum's day obviously by going would you like to come up to Nottingham and have this transfer and it was like you would have thought she was there at the birth of a baby the way she was sitting oh, there grinning in the theatre <laughs> but we had we had a bit it wasn't bad news looking back but on I think all the discussions me and Nick had ever had we said we'd go for two embryos again mm-hmm. because we felt on our first round we'd have two embryos and it didn't work 
So why on our second round would we go for less? Because yeah. it wasn't going to work if we went for less. And at the appointments up till the transfer day, they always told us it was our decision whether we'd have one or two. Mm -hmm. So we went in, you know, I'd said goodbye to Nick in the morning. We'd said, let's go for two embryos. Off I go with my mum. And when I get there, the embryologist comes in to have the chat about the embryos. Uh, yes, we'll be transferring one embryo today. And I was like, what? No, we want two. No, you're not having two. No, but we want two. Why not? Well, this was a hard thing because we always told it was our choice. And she basically said, your grade A's are so good. Oh, wow. That we don't want to run the risk of having multiples if we put two in. Mm -hmm. But it felt like a total downer because I was a bit like, yeah, but we want two. You know, my law of attraction, my manifesting, the plan was two. Give me two. Mm -hmm. um, and would you have been quite happy to have twins or even triplets or yeah I mean at that stage yes if you ask me now I'd probably say no mm -hmm. um but yeah at that stage you know twins would have been fine but I think because we failed with two it wasn't in our head that less than two would ever work mm -hmm. so it was a bit of a downer that day but did you put up a fight or did you just listen it, it I mean it was medically guided they have to, they basically do like the benefits and risks thing and yeah. they they just literally thought it was such a good embryo I would get pregnant with one Therefore, mm -hmm. why would... Because they, they never have the intention of you having twins when they put two in. They want you to have a singular yeah. pregnancy because that's obviously more likely to be a healthy pregnancy. They were adamant the consultant will not put two in. You're having one. So I kind of knew it wasn't a fight worth having very quickly. Mm -hmm. And I think I didn't want to get stressed. Yeah. Because I was like... I think I felt... Even looking back now, I feel the first one didn't work because of how stressed I was about stuff. Mm -hmm. so I was like let's you know just not get stressed let's get this embryo in and get home yeah chance I went fine went home nervous two-week wait coming up yeah did you go back to Nottingham for the test there's, there's, there's a story it's quite a funny story so on day six it was a big rugby day we we're a huge rugby family uh -huh. my sister and her husband were over the boys got very drunk um watch rugby I believe England won and then I had period pains. Mm. So I was sitting there thinking, I know my period's about to start. My period's about to start. I can feel it. I've got period pains. Didn't want to say anything. The boys are happy because England won. You know, it was it was just a bit of a, oh, I don't want to say this. Yeah. So Nick kind of looked at me and went, what's up? And I was like, oh, well, I've, I, think my, I think I'm coming on my period. And he's like, well, what do you mean? Are you bleeding? And I was like, no, no, I'm not bleeding, but I've got period pains. I know I'm going to come on to my period. And he's like, well, what do you want to do? What what would make you feel better at the moment? And I was like, mm. I want to test. And he's like, well, why would you want to test? And I was like, because if it's negative, that's what I think anyway. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it, I had in my head, and if it's positive, that's great. I just thought it was going to be negative. The negative would support my feeling that it wasn't, it hadn't worked. I, I'm clearly coming on my period. Da, 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 da. So we took this pregnancy test and he literally sat with it. He wouldn't let me see it because he knows I'd sit there like watching it for five minutes. <laughs> so he did that instead. <laughs> I didn't know. He wouldn't let me. He wouldn't let me look at it. And then, like after okay. five minutes, he turned the test over, looked at it, looked up at me, and just went, "I'm really sorry, darling." And then I looked at the test and I started crying and laughing. And he's like, "What?" I was like, "It's positive. It's positive." He's like, "No, it's not." <laughs> Because him being a man doesn't know how pregnancy tests works. He expected the test line to be as strong as a control line 
and thought because the okay. test line was really faint, it was a negative. <laughs> but obviously, amazing. I knew it's day six. Of course, it's not going to be a strong line. Yeah. And I, it's positive. It's positive. And he was like, are you sure? I know, no, no. I think this is a negative. And I think he thought I was just losing the flock completely. Maybe COVID will have done really good things for men across the world in terms of how to read a pregnancy test. <laughs> but he didn't have a clue. But then when you think about it, why would he have a clue? But yeah. it, was a funny, it was the funniest thing, like looking back. Goodness me. So that, I mean, six days in already. So you're even like a week away from the end of your two week wait at this point. Yeah. And what were you just, was it just the two of you or was your. No, they'd gone home. And then obviously Nick saw that was upset. So it was literally just the two of us. And I think the thing is, I knew from being on this like Facebook IVF group that you can test positive from like some people say from day four after transfer. Okay. Um, so I knew people had done it. And like, if you if you have a positive, it's a positive, you know, there's nothing left in your system from your fertility treatment that would make it a positive. Okay. But then there's an obsession in the IVF world that then we, we obsessively test every day to check the tests getting light darker. Okay. You know, your baby's sticking. It's So honestly, I, I had, I think I had like 26 tests. It's a lot of money on tests, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, so I had these tests and they're all getting darker every day and I, I haven't thrown all those tests away yet. I put them in oh. Dot's memory box and she found them a little while when we moved her bedroom. Why are these sticks, mummy? And why is there so many of them? And I, Nick <laughs> looked at me like, why have you kept all those tests? So I've literally, I think I've, I've got it down to about three tests. Amazing. And one day, obviously I'll explain to her why I was an obsessive weirdo at that yeah. point, but yeah, I've still got these little tests of them getting darker. Oh, I think that's really special. And obviously we went back to the clinic on day 14. Um, we told them, you know, we've already tested. We've tested, we've probably tested about 18 times by then. Yeah. yeah, we've tested. It's fine. It's good. And they said, oh, well, let's just, ten, you know, send your blood off, confirm it ourselves. So we've got it for our own mm-hmm. records. And then you, you're, you're nearly a normal pregnancy at that point. Basically, they like to do your first scan at the clinic. Okay. And I think the reason is it's hard to get an early scan on the NHS. And also, I think if you had an early loss, they can give you the right support. Yeah. Um, so we went back for a seven week scan and had our little frog baby there. She looked like a little frog. I was convinced she was a boy. You know, she looked like a frog. It was a boy. It was my frog print. That's what I always said. <laughs> and then you have, you know, you have your six, seven week scan at the clinic and then they discharge you from the clinic and you're a normal pregnancy okay. from that point. And how was your pregnancy? Was it symptoms wise, were you feeling like you could enjoy it or was it still challenging? Yeah, I think I was fairly lucky. I I suffered quite badly with sickness, but I would say, I think when you've waited so long and tried so hard and been through everything I went through, I kind of embraced Mm -hmm. every puke. I was trying to hide it in the early days because everyone just, you know, you you seem to feel like you're going to hide it until the 12 week thing. It seems to be the done thing. And I remember feeling really faint one morning and I walked onto one of the wards and they just looked at me and went, what's up? And I was like, why, why? And they're like, you're literally deathly pale. Sit down and let us take your blood pressure. Um, And during my pregnancy, I had really low blood, like my blood pressure when they took it on the ward was like 70 over 40. Mm -hmm. It was like proper low. They're like, I don't know how you're walking around. So I I just had to like carry water with me everywhere to keep my blood pressure up so mm-hmm. I was just a bit of a fainter a bit of a puker in the early days what about the latter bits of the pregnancy like we did you feel like the second trimester was 
the happy blooming time yeah it, the second trimester is probably the best for me but my sickness returned I had a return of sickness just after 20 weeks okay um which surprised me because you don't really I think that's another you know think about pregnancy you don't hear about much so I did have a return to sickness mm. um and then in in the latter stage in my third trimester I suffered quite bad with carpal tunnel yeah um so I had to wear like splints to bed Okay. But I really enjoyed my pregnancy. I loved having a bump. I was very active throughout my pregnancy. I was doing workouts until I was 39 weeks pregnant. Amazing. I loved being pregnant. Oh, how old were you, by the way, at that time? I could work it out, but... 36. Okay. Geriatric mother, they call you in hospital. Such a lovely term, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> You're old. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not old. Please don't tell me that. <laughs> um, okay, so... How did you prepare for the birth? Did you have strong thoughts on how you wanted it to go? Yes. Um, The hospital was really good because for us, they treated different trusts treat IVF pregnancies differently. As I said, you know, when when you're uh, discharged from the clinic, they say you're a normal pregnancy. But some trusts very kindly, I think, treat you as a high-risk pregnancy. Um, Mm -hmm. I think they treat you as a high-risk pregnancy because you're a bit neurotic, basically, because you've been for IVF. So they gave us extra grow fat scans and things like that. So there was so much reassurance along the way. Yeah, that's which nice. Which I think for me really helped. I couldn't imagine only having the scans that, you know, normal pregnancies have. Mm-hmm. I was very determined to not have an epidural. I believed before going into labour that I had a really good pain threshold. Um, mm-hmm. I've got rheumatoid arthritis, so I deal with chronic pain. So I was like, I'm mm-hmm. hardcore, I'm fine. Labour's going to be a breeze. <laughs> I deal with this pain yeah. every day. Um, nope, don't want an epidural. The idea of a needle going to the spine is horrible. Not going to do it. Yeah. I had to be induced. Okay. I went to, to term, and with IVF pregnancies where I was given birth, they induce you at term. So I went in on my due date and got induced, which took ages. Is there a reason for that medically? What's the reason for it, an increased risk if it's IVF? So people will dispute this and still dispute this. Basically, in a normal pregnancy, you don't know your exact date of conception, mm-hmm. which is why they generally let you go to 42 weeks uh-huh. Okay, yeah. before they talk about induction. My consultant believed as you're IVF, you literally know the exact day of conception. Yeah. So we know you're 40 weeks. There's not this here, there, because your period cycled. Mm. We know you're you're 40 weeks. So, so there's not that leeway. And obviously, you know, don't want to be on a downer, but, you know, the risk of stillbirth over 40 weeks is where it starts increasing, especially at my geriatric age. Mm. So I wanted it anyway, and they were supportive of, of it, but it was what they generally encourage. Yeah. IVF. So I did have an induction, which took a long time. How long did it take? I think I had the pessary at 11am and I didn't ha- start having any contractions until midnight. Okay. And that so they kept you in the hospital that whole time you didn't go back home? Yeah. No, it kept in hospital. You just like walk in the corridors to try and get your labour started. Mm-hmm. I had contractions every five minutes from the start. Mm, painful ones? Like big ones. Okay. Like literally, it seemed just to start like I'd been hit by a bus. Right. Every five minutes for like a minute and a half, I'd have a contraction. Wow. Um, and they, they hurt. I didn't expect that. And <laughs> I think that can be a ca- the case, especially with inductions as well. 
yeah, people do say inductions are more painful. And I remember going to the midwife and, and bear in mind, when you're in hospital having an induction, you're sitting there very bored reading a book, hearing all these women that literally come through the door and then five minutes later they give birth, hearing them <laughs> screaming, thinking this isn't helpful, is it? Yeah. Um, they should put women who are having a first-time birth in a different place, really, shouldn't they? <laughs> so, honestly, totally. Like, a lady came in in the opposite bed and I heard her saying... I'm ready to push and the midwife was like you can't be you've only just come in and she's like I'm ready to push and then literally she was screaming and I was like Lena thinking I'm traumatized <laughs> I don't want to do this yeah um anyway so I was having these contractions every five minutes and you go up to me like it's a bit painful now it's a bit painful I'll give you some paracetamol and you literally want to scream a paracetamol's not going to do anything why are you giving me paracetamol Bear in mind, I'm really tired because the night before I went in for induction, I was really excited so I didn't sleep. Yeah. My, my pain started at midnight so I couldn't sleep. And it got to like three o'clock in the morning and I'm in literal agony in the midwife. Why don't you go for a nice bath? <laughs> and you literally like look at her like you are crazy. Was that something that you'd put on your birth plan or anything like that? Or just that was just a suggestion from them? I hadn't put, I don't, I don't think I'd put it on my birth plan. Okay. But I do like a bath, yeah. but a hospital bath isn't quite the same as a home bath, is it? Because I was kind of like, I don't want to get in a hospital bath. But I had my bath bomb, so I was like, I'm going to sit and have a bath bomb. Okay. Three o'clock in the morning, no one else awake, you know. Uh-huh. Was, was Nick there with you? No, no, so he had to go home. Because I wasn't in active labour, okay. he went home. Right. So, I was, yeah, I was all on my own. And I was in the bath, and I remember thinking, I think I'm losing the plot, because I literally knew I sounded like a cow. And you don't, you kind of don't expect to go back to like being a true animal. Mm. Like when you're in labour, I think you feel like the truest animal you will ever be. Yeah. It was just like, I was like, why am I making these noises? Yeah. You know, I was going, oh God, like, I'm not that religious. Why are you, why do you sound like a cow? Why are you praying? What's going on? <laughs> and I got out of the bath and I was in a lot of pain. And I said to the midwife again, oh, I'm in so much pain and the bath didn't help. Um, and I think I was about four centimetres when I got out of the bath and she was like, oh, but I can break your waters. I can, you know, I can see everything. I can break your waters. Do you want me to do that? Yeah. That isn't a pleasant experience having your waters broken. But it helped afterwards because I think the pressure was so much because of the fluid. Mm-hmm. So I think as, although having it done was horrible. Yeah. It released the fluid and actually, I don't know, it just felt a bit better after that. Did she do it with um, with her hand or was it with the like metal hook thing I think it was like that crochet hook yeah okay so it felt a little bit better for a while after that and then probably after about an hour of contractions I was again I'm in too much pain um and they decided to ring Nick up no I rang Nick up do you know what he said to me I feel like it wasn't what you wanted to hear (laughs) (laughs) it was a bit early he said it was a bit early okay early uh yeah let me just uh, oh poor him he wasn't ready (laughs) I'll have a shower and grab a coffee and then I'll come in. What? You have a shower and grab a coffee? I haven't sleep and I haven't had a coffee. I haven't had a shower. I'll grab a shower and a coffee. I wasn't best pleased then, but he arrived and it was a bit better when he was there. Sometimes you just need an outlet for your, um, not anger, but like for all of those things that you're feeling in labour. Sometimes I feel like that's the best thing that the partner can do is just be there to absorb all of that. It was, yeah, um... And then when Nick came in, I was put in like a delivery room. I worked in that hospital, forgot to say that bit. Yeah, okay. So I worked in the hospital, so I did know the staff and the anaesthetists and stuff. Oh. And um, I forgot to say, but the night before, 
the night anaesthetist had come in because one of my colleagues had told him I was in. So he is like, well, I just thought I'd come in, check you're okay, pain relief wise. You know, if you want an epidural, just get them to bleep me, let me know. And I was like, no, 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 I don't want an epidural. I don't want an epidural. <laughs> um, and it got to like, I think it was like quarter eight in the morning and I was screaming for an epidural. Yeah. So when he comes, if you like, bear in mind, they hand over at eight, uh-huh. it's quarter to eight. He says, now Kelly, I'm very happy to give you an epidural, but I'm just about to end my shift and I'm very tired. <laughs> give me your best epidural <laughs> i would rather hand you over to someone that's fresh uh-huh. is that okay i was like yeah yeah, yeah it's fine brilliant um so i had the most lovely epidural which is again horrible at the time but as soon as it's done mm. i became a different person i was no longer a cow um praying it was very nice and i slept most of the day yeah nice because i'd obviously been up all night and i had that epidural i slept most of the day um the rugby was on again. Rugby is a theme throughout my pregnancy. <laughs> Does Dorothy uh, enjoy a rugby match yet, or is she still a bit young? <laughs> mm, she's not that keen, mainly because Daddy shouts and gets overexcited, and uh-huh. the dog hates it too. Um, so it was Six Nations, as it's going to be soon, because it's a birthday next week. Uh-huh. And um, Nick basically watched rugby all day. My mum came and visited. She watched rugby with him, and um, I just basically slept. I don't. I don't really remember much because mm. I think I was just asleep but I do remember I could probably hear the rugby while I was asleep I remember them watching rugby all day and did you get the urge to push even though you'd had the epidural um I did when it came to it I did um there was a bit of a blip in the way because I um my waters were pink okay and I spiked a temperature my my breathing increased so I had uh, sepsis in labor Right, okay. Which, looking back, is probably why I don't remember some bits, I think, because of, of the sepsis. Okay. Um, it was um, when your amniotic lining gets in, like an infection, basically. Yeah. I had to have antibiotics, and I do think that's why I kind of don't remember stuff. You know, I, mm. Yeah, I did get... I, they called it... What they called it? I think they called it like a light epidural. yeah. Or like a walking epidural? Yeah, I could move around the bed. I, you know, I didn't labour on my back. I was on my front a lot. Yeah, lovely. I could feel stuff apart from the, the horrible bits, basically. And I could I could feel the tightenings. And, you know, I'd say to the midwife, oh, I think I'm getting a tightening. She'd look at the monitor and go, yeah, you are. Yeah. Did you know that was something that they offered at that hospital? Because I think it's dependent on the hospital whether they do that I didn't and I think because I was so adamant I didn't want an epidural it was something I'd never discussed Mm -hmm. and probably if I had discussed it and they said there was a a light epidural option yeah it would have taught me around a bit but I was so anti it but it was it was the best thing to to have done Mm. at that point I think because I was so tired if I hadn't have had that epidural and basically slept all day I wouldn't have pushed it out I would have had a cesarean and I know I would because of what happened okay um what did happen during my labour, most of it I was asleep, but they noticed every time I tried to lie on my back, um, Dot's heart rate would drop. Okay. So I had to lay, like, labour mostly on my, like, on my side, on my hip. Yeah. But I've got rheumatoid and it really wasn't good and, you know, so I ended up trying to be on all fours across the back of the bed, which is the best, the best thing for me, which is quite nice. Yeah. And then I think it was, like, 11 o'clock at night, we started pushing. And they obviously generally give you about an hour to push. Um, it, but she was she was getting stuck. Um, so the midwife, 
you know, every time I pushed, they could see her coming down, but she'd kind of go back up again. So the midwife said, oh, I need to get a reg to come have a look. And I had what they call a cervical lip. So basically, she was getting stuck on my cervix. My cervix wouldn't go beyond her head. Okay. Um, so basically, the reg came in and did like a big sweep, basically stretched my cervix and popped it up. Okay. Didn't feel it. It sounds horrible, didn't feel it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then carried on pushing, was pushing for nearly an hour. Dot's heart was decelerating. Okay. So I was a bit like, oh, this isn't going well, is it? And they were saying to me, well, you've literally got 10 minutes now. You know, if, if she's not out by midnight, we're going to be going to a cesarean. Mm. Um, kept on having decelerations, was pushing, was pushing. Did um, that time limit spare you on or was it stressing you out? Or both? <laughs> I think it spurred me on. It's really hard. Like so much of this, and it's not because six years have passed. Literally, you could have asked me the day after. I couldn't remember it. Mm. I was I was determined to get her out. I did not want a cesarean. Did not want a cesarean. It got to like five to 12. They got Kiwi. It's like a Von Tuse, you know, the suction cup. Yeah. They got that out. Her heart was decelerating. The, nurse, the, the midwife pulled the buzzer. She literally said to me, um, oh, I'm getting emotional. Mm. She said to me, you know, we're not happy with your baby right now. If if you don't get her out within five minutes, we're going to theatre. And if you do get her out now, you know, you need to be prepared that she's going to be going straight to the like the neonatologist. So everyone was like running in the room. Um, and I don't know how I did it, but I got her out. But yeah. literally, I remember as I got her out, they were opening the doors ready to take me to theatre. Wow. Um, and she came out and I was like, you know, she's not going to cry. She's not going to cry. And she cried. <laughs> and it's like everyone in the room was like so shocked. She just cried and she just, she came on me straight away and they all were quickly stood down and moved out of the room. But I think, you know, they prepared for thinking, oh, I don't know what, I don't know what's going to happen now. Yeah. She cried straight away. She fed straight away. Aww. And were you, did you, can you process in that moment how huge and how much like hope and everything has led up to that point? Or were you just caught in a moment in time? Yeah, it was, it's, it's like, it's weird because I can tell a story, but there's so much of it I kind of don't remember properly. Yeah. Nick, it's really funny. Nick and my mum were both there. My mum wasn't planned to be there. She just kind of didn't really go, um, but she loved but Nick describes my birth, Dot's birth, as very traumatic. Okay. But people ask me, and I'm like, oh, no, I had a lovely birth. And Nick's like, you just don't remember it, do you? You just don't remember, you don't, you know, don't remember the blood, you don't remember the stitches, you don't remember the emergency button. Mm. I think as women, we protect ourselves by, that didn't happen. And it, it must just be like the hormones and the love. And yeah. Nick is still traumatised by it. Oh. Wow. Um, yeah, I feel emotional. I don't know. Like... Sorry, sorry. I wasn't going to cry. <laughs> no, no. I mean, it's, it is just that that moment is huge, no matter how easy or difficult conception was for you. But yeah, I'm so thrilled for you all that you, you've got her and she's perfect. She is perfect. A little bit noisy, but she is perfect. <laughs> um how was your recovery was it fairly straightforward i had a second degree a second degree tear and episiotomy mm-hmm. again didn't feel it but considering that i i went to a baby grief on day three 
Oh, wow. That was a day after you. I got out of hospital. I had to stay in hospital because of sepsis. Yeah. Um, so you know, I was out walking. It, my recovery, but I think because I kept so fit during my pregnancy, as I said before, I was like training up to 39 weeks. Mm. I just got on with it. I really did just get on with it. Yeah. Um, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you wished I had asked? Um, I think the only thing I would say is I think with infertility, people think that once you've had a baby, it's like cured, but the, the feelings are still there. Like, I'm happy if Dot is our, is our only child, but that's not what I grew up thinking I wanted. Mm-hmm. Not even when I grew up, but like, you know, when we first decided we wanted a family, you know, we always said we'd have two or three kids. Yeah. Um, but I think the financial side of things and also the stress of going through fertility treatment yeah. makes you question whether you do want more. I'm obviously like, I'm nearly 42 now. Mm. Um, we have frozen embryos. We have our maybe sitting in the freezer. Um, but the feelings are still there, you know. If I'm on Instagram and, you know, all the pregnancy announcements on Chris, at Christmas time and it's triggering, it still hurts because I know I'm not a fertile person. Mm. I know I've had to go through those difficulties to get here. And I know I do have a better story than lots of people that will, um, you know, remain childless because of their infertility. It still hurts. Yeah. You know, I, I would, I would love to have more kids, but it's just if we decide to have more, we know it's not going to be easy and it's not a given. Yeah, I think that's so important actually because so many women in all areas of life, but especially with this, feel like I think they have to censor themselves because they've had a happy ending. And that doesn't mean that you're not entitled to feel pain still. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, okay, to end with, I've got a couple of slightly more lighthearted, like quick fire ones. Okay. Do you remember what your first meal was after birth? Well, it's a tea and toast after you give birth, isn't it? Okay, yeah. Which I don't even like. I don't even like tea, but it was it was really nice. And I think the toast could have been toasted a lot more, but it was still really nice because I hadn't eaten for 24 hours. Yeah. Biggest pregnancy craving, if there was one. Um, <laughs> I didn't have one. Uh, my meal of choice was uh, beef and tomato pot noodle with those cheese sandwich tuck crackers and a bag of prawn cocktail crisps. Strong. <laughs> um, best, like, mum hack. Oh god, I'm no good at I'm no good at mum hack. Mum hack, or just like a tip or trick. I would say baby carrying. I think everyone thinks. I think there's such a thing on buying a thousand pound pram or whatever. Yeah, but actually, you don't really need that pram, and you're not going to use it that much. And actually, I love baby carrying with Dot. She had really bad reflux as well, yeah. so it really helped. Um. But I think, you know, especially if you're tight on money when you're having a baby, don't think you need to buy a pram because you will use it less than you think you're going to. Mm-hmm. And actually hiring, you know, a, a baby carrier is probably a really good use of your money and you get more closeness with your baby. Mm. Great. Well, um, thank you. Let me just say, I don't know if it feels like it to you all the time, but from the outside looking in, you are definitely uh warrior a ninja a ninja yeah thank you so much yeah i'm can guarantee you that 
lots of people will take a lot from your story. Well, thank, it feels like I've had a little therapy session. <laughs> oh, I learned a lot, to be honest, through that. So I'm glad you enjoyed it. That's the end of this episode. Take care and see you next time.